Hi, Ben Young here from The Ortho Show, and thank you for joining us for this very special Pitch Pro edition of The Ortho Show. In this, our first edition of Pitch Pro, we will be joined by Kevin Rocco. He is the CEO of BioRes, and he's pitching to our panel to convince them that he holds the future of tendon and soft tissue healing. Let's see how Kevin gets on and hear the sage advice offered by our panel. Hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, Sharks. My name is Kevin Rocco, and I'm the CEO of BioRes, where we are developing the future of tendon and ligament healing. As most of you know, tendon and ligament repair today focuses on replacing soft tissues back to where they belong anatomically. If you tear your rotator cuff, most surgeons go in arthroscopically, tie it back down to the bone using anchors and suture. And most of the medical device innovations over the last few decades have been focused on improving that procedure making it better, faster, cheaper, better cameras, better instruments, better anchors, and even better sutures. Most of the surgeons today are very good at doing these procedures, and we're lucky to have two pros on this panel tonight. However, the problem here is not the procedure itself, but that tendon and ligament tissue is slow to heal and sometimes doesn't heal at all. So even when the surgery goes well, if that patient's biology doesn't kick in, and their cells don't reintegrate into the repair construct to form new tendon tissue, it's at high risk of poor outcome or failure. Today, we know even good surgical techniques can lead to high failure rates, especially in large rotator cuff tears at nearly 50%, or young active ACL patients as high as 20%. And beyond these high failure rates, most patients face long, painful recoveries that on average do not return them to pre-injury activity level and they face higher risks of long-term issues like osteoarthritis. I would say the problem today with sports medicine is not the instruments or the anchors or the surgical techniques. It's that a surgeon can only do so much at the time of surgery to improve the odds of the healing process favorably for the patient. This is why so many patients, or so many people rather, are talking about orthobiologics and the regenerative medicine and stem cells. They're looking for a way to improve tendon and ligament healing. And so BioRes has spent the last four years developing revolutionary implant technology called the BioBrace, which is a regenerative implant that can be added at the time of surgery to reinforce the repair and act as a scaffold to improve and facilitate the healing process. And you might be thinking, well, there must be other things in the market that do that already, but there aren't. Historically, there have been many attempts by many companies to develop implant materials that can be used to augment repairs either mechanically or biologically to improve healing. And very recently, there's renewed interest in both of these camps from market leaders growing the market nearly 300% over the last five years. But it's been limited to either biologic or synthetic augmentation, either improve healing or mechanical reinforcement. No implant material to date has been able to provide both a mechanical reinforcement and a biologic augmentation to improve the healing process. BioBrace does exactly this, and we have the data to prove it. And that makes it a game changer for both surgeons and patients. And you might be wondering what's special about the BioBrace that makes this possible. Well, every other implant prior to BioBrace has either been a synthetic material, usually some two-dimensional textile, or a biologic material, usually a piece of tissue harvested from a cadaver or an animal, or some processed collagen. 
our technical breakthrough is in having a biocomposite structure that contains two materials that can do two different things well at the same time. Biobrace's porous collagen sponge facilitates rapid biologic integration, uh, while its resorbable fibers add strength and durability to the repair. Our preclinical test results in a large animal rotator cuff model validate that the Biobrace facilitates a rapid biologic integration, functional tissue regeneration, and heal the repair to a biomechanical strength that's as strong as native tendon by 12 weeks. These fibers in the implant provide strength for up to two years uh, until they naturally resorb so that there's no long-term of permanent synthetic junk. Our preclinical data was presented from the podium recently at the ORS and won best overall science paper at the Orthopedic Summit in December. We've also been working with leading orthopedic surgeons around the country <clears throat> and have done over 10 different cadaver procedures in both knee and shoulder. And the response after using the implant has been overwhelmingly positive. I realize in a podcast, this might be hard to appreciate, uh, but it's, it is real. And I think you'll just have to experience that in person. And for all the folks interested in orthobiologics and PRP and stem cells, the BioBrace can also be used to soak up factors ex vivo as a sponge and carry them into the procedure to place them more locally at the site of healing. This will be a significant improvement over injecting them into the joint and hoping some amount of them will end up at the right place. The unique combination of biologic augmentation with biomechanical strength and full resorption has been the holy grail of implant materials and soft tissue repair and the BioBrace can deliver on this. Excitingly, we expect our FDA approval in a matter of months and are eager to work with thought leaders like yourselves to improve the, the lives of patients around the world. I'd say, uh, in conclusion, BioRes is developing the future of tendon and ligament healing using its proprietary BioBrace technology. So um, thank you for your time and attention, and I look forward to your questions. All right, outstanding presentation. Matthew Ray Scott. Kevin, you look like you enjoyed that presentation. How was that for you? You know, I've been uh, I've been working very hard on this project with a great team for many years. And when you start the project, it's a concept, it's a cartoon, and bringing it into reality, uh, it's very validating. You know, we feel we really have this thing, this problem solved. So we're super, super excited. It is exciting to tell this story, and uh, we're eager to hear what you think. Yeah, that's great. Let me ask you a question. I want you to imagine that your brand is a car. What car would it be and why? For people that know me, they're going to know the answer before I say it. And the brand of car is Tesla. And it, it might sound cliche, but it's not that our car is the fastest. It's not that the car looks the best. It's not that it's got the right kind of magical set of features it's that there's a paradigm shift here from you know, mechanical restoration and putting tissue to where it belongs towards healing. And that's the internal combustion versus kind of the electric car. You can just do different things in that future. And that's the future we're trying to develop. Thank you, Kevin. I yield to the panel. Come on, Mullings. What do you got here? This kid's got some game. What do you think? Oh boy, I'm worried about this kid. Um, and, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a dose with lots of love here because I'm a fellow nutmegger, at least through marriage. Um, I have built over 500 startups. I looked through your pitch deck. You were way underfunded on what you want to do. Um, adoption and ongoing utilization. Your tech may very well be a holy grail, 
but your adoption and ongoing utilization using a hybrid sales force is going to be a major mistake. ASCs, especially in the ortho market, are leading the way outside of centralized healthcare in hospitals. And even CMS continues to push outpatient care. And so I don't know how you plan on with the numbers you have on your pitch deck to have enough coverage, clinical interface, get salespeople in there pitching it. Because if you think you're going to put it in distributor's bag and get the right coverage, you're going to have a challenge. You might have some great science here, but like Tesla, you might be beat out for the old man who brought the, the light bulb with the right financing to market. Joe, it's a, it's a great point. When you say we are uh, underfunded, I'd like to think we're capital efficient for what we've been able to accomplish. And that's really important because, as you know, medical device ventures have, I think, typically raised a lot of money, grown a large sales infrastructure, kind of traded at a low multiple, and it's been a bad, relatively a bad investment. So the way we're looking to break that is being scrappy, being capital efficient, being focused on the early adopters. And out of the gate here in 2021, post-FDA clearance, we're really only focused on early adopters. We're not looking to grow mass adoption. We just want to get in the right hands, uh, get our arms around the clinical value proposition, demonstrate that, and validate the selling process. So when we say hybrid, in the first part of the sales uh, process, we really expect to control that, direct that, but do it with a small scale. From there, we hope that creates an opportunity to partner either with distributors or with large strategics. But I think the data will speak for itself. I don't see a budget in there for post-market studies. And every single venture capitalist is going to hold you over a barrel when they know you're out of gas. And you still are probably 2 to 3x under for your commercial launch. Just mark those numbers down. And let's talk again in 18 months. You might have a great product here. Capital efficiency should never go in the same conversation as commercial launch, even if you're going to centers of excellence. I have watched the graveyard of technology get undercapitalized. I don't want to see you make the same mistake. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And the uh, points about ASCs, uh, well taken. I think one of the, uh, one of the headwinds for surgeons adopting regenerative technologies in the ASC is price. And we have a path to provide this at a competitive price uh, to make it accessible. And because it can be used with existing surgical techniques, we don't need to go out there and train some special procedure. It can be used like tissue. It can be used like allograft. And surgeons know really well how to, how to handle those materials. Got it. All right, Vin, what do you got? A couple questions. So We've been told, you know, uh, I'm just thinking I'm not a sports guy uh, in the classic sense, but, you know, we've been told all along that these bioabsorbable interference screws are supposed to degrade and disappear and all this stuff. And we hear it on and on and on again. Everyone sells us something. It's supposed to disappear after a certain amount of time. So how am I supposed to buy that this thing's going to disappear in two years? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> we talk about our scaffold being a biocomposite. It, and, and obviously you're picking up on biocomposite interference screws. And while they both contain polymeric materials and some natural materials, uh, the bulk handling properties of the two different classes of device are very different. So bone interference screws are a dense bulk polymeric device. 
our device is about 85% air. So cells go right in, tissue goes right in. And what we've done, uh, because I share your frustration with um, polymeric uh, resorption over time, people sort of say, well, about a year, maybe two years, and then you go back and it's still there in five years. What we've done very carefully is we've uh, assessed the, the molecular weight of the polymeric component over time in large animal studies. And we've correlated that to what we see in the bath. So we know exactly how long it takes. As the body breaks it down, the molecular weight gets shorter before it goes away. So we have a very accurate picture of how long that process takes. And that process takes about two years. All right. Uh, and then you talk about uh, 12 weeks uh, to healing. So what does that mean in terms of re-rupture rates? Where do you think this is going to move the needle? Uh, like, let's just pick on rotator cuff tears. You brought that up. So where do you think this is going to make an impact? I think where it'll make the biggest impact is in the large rotator cuff tears and in patients with uh, comorbidities, smokers, diabetics, where it's a challenged healing environment and they have a high rate of, of failure. You know, why not add a little bit something extra there that's been shown to both facilitate an improved regenerative response and make that repair more durable? Got it. Thanks. All right, Kevin, you ready for the fro? All right, I'm ready. All right, brother, here we go. So everybody knows I'm the original cow patch guy. <laughs> I mean, literally, if you Google cow patch, the fro comes up on page one, okay? So now, so now, unlike some of my, one of my esteemed members of the panel here, I don't have a beard. I'm not from Arkansas, but I can tell you this. If I step into a field of cows, they will stare me down and they will run for cover. That's how many cow parts I've been using in my career. So here's the, here's my question for you. So here's what's going on right now in your world. You got actually got some competition, right? I mean, the original cow patch, the Regenitin implant by Smith and nephew. Yep. You got Dermis on demand by my tech and Johnson and Johnson. You got this new gig coming out the rhodium wick. So I'm going to pull a little Matthew Ray Scott here. And I'm going to ask you a question. How would you market your product as different from the competition? Yeah, great question, Scott. So I think first and foremost, the fact that there are other ventures and technologies going after this validates the market opportunity, right? And I think you had um, Bert Mendelbaum on your program not long ago, and he suggested that it was about 2.5% of the people in on pro-regeneration and augmentation, meaning we're just at the tip of the early adopters. This is the early days of adding regenerative devices to standard of care. <clears throat> and so net net, there is a big growing opportunity here. And I think a lot of technologies will have a role here. Specific to how does BioBrace differentiate against most other technologies? Like I said, most other technologies, all the ones you mentioned, have been either a synthetic or a biologic. And that really limits them to being only good at one thing or the other. So what's special about the BioBrace is that it's a biocomposite soft tissue scaffold. It has two different things in there doing both things well, and no one else has that strength plus that capacity for regeneration and improved healing. So when you walk away from the Pitch Pro, we have our panelists always give you some final thoughts. And really, we want you walking out of here with your head held high with some commentary and some positive thoughts. So let's roll it out. Joe, what do you got? 
Kevin, first of all, dude, you came solo to the ninth fight. Bravo <laughs> for you. You're the only one who did. So that goes a long way with me. I just, I never said this to a man before, but when you're laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, and you know you have a product, but you underfunded it, I'm worried about post-market studies based upon what Vin said about prove it to me. Those cost money. I think you're underclubbing the sales effort. Product and procedure are native to the clinician. Yeah, but you still need a champion in the room with them for the first couple. And then finally, marketing your product. If you're going to go up against Godzilla and Rodan, you're going to need to figure out how to market this product and get a small sector and then get a lever arm to get all the way in. Yep. MRS. Yeah, I was a part of a co-development team that worked on copolymers and we sold it for 16 times earnings to Medtronic. I'm on your team. Here's what I like. What we discovered is, is if you're dealing with copolymers that have to deal with proving strength sharing or shielding, tougher sale. If you, you don't have that as a big component, perhaps you have an osteoinductive conductive matrix, a biocomposite, you've got an easier pathway from uh, the ability to sell that to surgeons. Joe's right. Distribution is going to be key for you. Choosing to go to either a distributor model or some type of hybrid model is going to be a critical choice for you to be able to have any type of market penetration. I say take out your dusty cover of Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Open it up. Stay sound on picking off early adopters first. Don't compete in the messy middle. Don't go after the middle majority of the market. Stay lean on the left side. Carry it over to the right side. Vindasa. Hey, Kevin. Uh, nice job. I think you, you understand this space. I think your grasp of the content, the science of it uh, is pretty impressive. And it seems like you're well-polished and, and you've kind of got this right at the tip of your finger. Um, I think uh, this is a very crowded space and you know that. Uh, and there's really not much more to add other than what uh, Matthew and, and Joe already told you. Uh, but kudos to you. I think, I think you've, you've done a really nice job with this. Thank you. Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, really impressive. You know, you came out, you you swung hard, you did great. You know, you got amazing counsel from what I think is a really special panel. Here's my thoughts. ASC, 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 KOL, KOL, KOL. Figure it out. Make sure your price point's going to be okay when you finally do commercialize and come in because that's super important. Make sure you got your clinical studies to back you up to show that what you're doing actually works. And I think you got something good. Well, thank you so much for all the uh, really thoughtful feedback and uh, great points. And I look forward to following up with all of you as we turn this from a product development regulatory venture towards a commercial operation. I thought overall it went, it went well. It's a challenging format for this type of presentation because Typically, I can put a product in somebody's hands and ask them about what do they think about it, and I can show them the data that supports that it's real and that it's different. So just sort of going a cappella and telling them all of these things was a bit of a challenge, but I, I think they saw that. Uh, naturally, there were some questions about, you know, how are you going to do this commercially, uh, about the uh, perception that there are many technologies in this space, but I think ultimately seeing will be 
uh, believing. And once we're out there and once we're doing it, and once there's the, that tactile feedback of, of how it actually works, um, I, I think we'll turn any of the doubters around. I thought everybody made you know, good points. Um, I, I think I'll obviously want to follow up with Joe Mullings about uh, you know, our plans to raise capital and uh, how we're going to finance some clinical studies to prove that the science is real and that it translates clinically. I think everyone sort of touched on that. And then, um, you know, as Dr. Sigmund said, he's been a, a, a big advocate of Regenitin and of what he calls the cow patch. Hopefully we don't get a nickname like that along the way. But um, I, I think that opened the door for this opportunity. So there's uh, a tailwind for us. There's a stepping stone that we can step on where that demonstrates that there's a clinical need for regenerative technologies. And if we can package something that has strength, has regeneration, is resorbable, uh, and is easy to use at an affordable price, you know, that, that's the holy grail. And the BioBrace is that.